Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Caster, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, how are you doing? Another late night episode of the Basement Talk Podcast. Although, this is probably going to be going out in the morning, but we're recording this late at night. First of all, Adam, how are you? Um, I thought we swore that we were never going to do one of these again. But the good news is that this is not at 11 o'clock at night. This is at 10 to 10. So I have a little bit more energy and i'm also playing golf tomorrow so i'm very very excited for that also very excited that it's memorial day weekend happy memorial day to everyone and to all of our vets thank you for your service and i'm very like i don't i don't know what it is i'm just i'm very amped right now and it's very it's very very strange i don't i don't know why i'm like this but i'm, I'm ready to record my second podcast of the day i'm very very excited yeah no me too I think it's uh, it's kind of strange how it's an hour, like basically an, there's an hour difference between the last time we recorded a night podcast and right now, and we both don't sound like we're half asleep. So we don't sound like we're on our deathbeds. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you for, oh, I'm going to plug the, uh, the basement talk podcast quizvitational that we recorded today, Wednesday, which will be out tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, Adam, you missed one hell of a show today. I can't wait to listen to it is all I'm going to say, because I think I had a lot of fun on the, the first chapter of the Quizvitational, and I kind of hope that this could be like a nice little spinoff series to give people who are really into trivia something else to uh, sink their teeth into. Yeah, for sure. That was kind of the, um, the thought process behind pulling the Quizvitational together. And uh, of course, you know, Big thanks to to yourself, Adam, uh, to Matt, to Connor, Andrew, Tim, Jared, Greg for uh, for coming on the first two episodes of the Quizvitational. We will be recording the third chapter of the Quizvitational on Monday or Tuesday of next week after, of course, the holiday weekend. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that in your uh, in your inbox, but. I will say today was we had record high scores today. And we also had something that did not happen in the first Quizvitational that did happen in this one. And let's just say I was very happy that I was prepared because it could have been a disaster if I wasn't prepared. But that's my little cliffhanger to get people to uh, listen to the Quizvitational, which they will do already because the Quizvitational really was uh, – was very well received with uh, episode one. So thank you to uh, to everyone that reached out and contributed to uh, making the Quizvitational as great as it possibly can be because it is a lot of fun. And everyone who's been on it so far has really said they've had a lot of fun. So it uh, makes me feel good knowing that uh, my baby has really been received very, very well. So that makes me very happy and I do appreciate it. Well, also it gets all the people that want to be on the podcast to just be like, okay, fine, this is it. This is your this is your thing for right yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. And it definitely uh, it'll definitely get people that uh that I know from across the industry onto the podcast as well. And and even even some people that, you know, are, are maybe, you know, too shy or afraid to if they want to reach out and ask if they want to be on it. I mean, please go ahead. You know, I'm never I'm never gonna say uh no 
to people coming on the podcast. So if there are people that are interested in listening to this podcast that do want to come on, uh, you can always reach out to me and I will, uh, I will do my very best to, uh, to get everybody on because we have, I believe right now, we have the next five, well, the next three technically um, completely filled with people who are going to be coming on to the, uh, the Quizvitational. So um, it, it obviously is, uh, is being very well, well received right now. So it makes me very happy again. And I obviously do appreciate all of the, uh, all the kind messages and, and wishes of support for the, uh, for the Quizvitational because it is my baby. It is, it is my child next to Carry On Johnson and Joe Mixon and Hunter Henry. Don't forget Logan Paulson. <gasps> Logan Paulson. No, Logan Paulson, I don't know if Logan Paulson is my child. I would say that Logan Paulson is more of like, he's kind of like my crazy drunk uncle. Uh, there is going to be such a small, it's like a niche of a niche of people that are actually going to get that reference, which is kind of funny. Uh, yes, yes. But if they do, then they can consider themselves OGs. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're not here on this podcast just to wax poetic about the trivia show as much as Bird would love to do that for an, uh, for an hour and a half. Please. What are you kidding? What are you kidding? Adam, Adam, I'm better than that. I'm a radio professional. I would much rather sit and talk and wax about my drunk uncle, Logan Paulson, or my children for the better part of the next hour and a half. That's fair. That's how I want to spend my night. Yeah. I mean, Logan Paulson is like the greatest, you know, one catch, one touchdown. It's a, he's the was, greatest thing since sliced bread. That was a, that was a season for him. That was, I mean, he's perfect. Literally, one Adam, catch, one touchdown. Adam, and this is, I guess we're going to the backstory here of Logan Paulson. So Logan Paulson <laughs> was a favorite of ours, of Adam and I on the Required Radio Fantasy Show, which is still alive and well, but we are no longer doing it. But if you want to go check out the old episodes to see what we really sounded like before we knew what we were doing on radio, you could definitely go check that out because it is, it's a trip. But anyway. Anywho, as Colin Coward affectionately said, that's been, like, that's been like my word of the week. Anywho, Logan Paulson was one of our favorites. Not like what we think he's going to break out and be a superstar, but he's one, of those, he's one of those guys that we know that didn't do anything. We knew he was like a gym class hero sort of deal, but he went out there and there was one Sunday where Logan Paulson caught one catch for one yard and a touchdown. And I remember watching it on Red Zone, and I remember I was at work that day. I was going fucking ape shit, and I texted Adam. I remember the, the second that it happened, and I literally just said to him, "Did you see what just happened?" And I don't think you were watching Adam, were you? Probably not. I don't think I was. He played for the Falcons at that point, so yeah. I wasn't yeah, I was, really. I was watching on Red Zone. I was watching on Red Zone, and. I, I, I lost my mind. I absolutely lost my mind seeing my drunk uncle, Logan Paulson, score a touchdown. And he didn't have a catch for the rest of the game. But at the very least, he just had a touchdown, which made me very happy as a nephew that loves his crazy drunk uncle very much. Honestly, the funny thing is I remember which episode of the podcast that we – of the fantasy show that we even talked about it. My my recollection of the events was we were looking through stats when we were taught when we were uh, doing our game recaps, and we're like, well, you know, we were talking about tight ends. Now, uh, shallow the tight end position was, 
And I was like, well, yeah, Logan Paulson, he had one catch for one yard for one touchdown. It was the immaculate stat line. And then we both just started dying of laughter. And but fell in love with Logan Paulson. To that, yep, from that very day. But anyway, moving on. Anywho. News and notes. Anywho, moving on, news and notes. Very important. And kind of like what we talked about last time, we were on, we had the special edition of the Basement Talk podcast, which coincidentally was also at night. That was literally the last time. But we were talking about uh, season leagues restarting in the, in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, even though there is no vaccine yet, or I mean, maybe sort of some treatments, but they haven't really fully been tested. But you have, we have, we talked about the Premier League, who is looking to restart in June, on June 1st. The NHL is looking to have a restart plan. Uh, Major League Baseball is looking to have a restart plan. Uh, the NBA is looking to have a restart plan as well, and uh, MLS. And a lot of these plans, I mean, I think, honestly, Burr, you, I know you probably don't watch him, but John Oliver had a really good piece on this, on sports, on sports trying to resume in the wake of the pandemic. And he was kind of interesting how he was talking about it and how a lot of these plans – like none of them are actually good because there's nothing you could really do there. There's so many like different holes in these plans. Like there's no perfect solution for it. So it's a lot harder. And especially since, I mean, everybody's made the illusion to how sports has really brought the country through a lot of hard times. You think of uh, the Yankees making the 2001 world series and Mike Piazza hitting his home run after nine 11 as I mean, it's one of my big um, memories like one of my, honestly, is one of my first memories because I was about like five or six when that happened. And then also, weirdly enough, it was a Mets-Phillies game when Osama bin Laden was killed. It was an extra, it went to like 14 innings and it was on Sunday Night Baseball. And uh, I don't even know who was broadcast, who was commentating at the time, but they actually announced on the broadcast that Osama bin Laden was killed, was found and killed by SEAL Team 6. So sports and our, and our everyday life is really intertwined. And it must be, I mean, it's very hard for people to kind of deal with not having their escapist entertainment for a while. But really, a lot of these solutions without vaccines, it's not, or treatments really, it's just so hard. I mean, we saw in the Premier League, like literally a couple of days ago, they, uh, I believe five or six players tested positive out of the team members and out of the players and the uh, members Coaches of Coaches and staff and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So you can't just put athletes in a bubble and not, and just tell them to not, that they can't leave or do anything. And just expect them to just completely be cleanly. I mean, I think even after the Bundesliga restarted, I think some, one of the coaches, either he broke, I don't think he got, he caught COVID, but he broke quarantine to buy toothpaste. They were, they're all quarantined in a hotel and he broke quarantine to buy toothpaste and he couldn't, and now he can't see his team for two weeks. So it's like, you can't just expect everything to go perfect when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of 
uh, free willed adults and telling them to stay basically what amounts to a summer camp. I mean, Adam, you're, you're right on a lot of the points that you just made. I think that it kind of where it gets cloudy. And again, we've had this conversation, I feel like for the upteenth billionth time is that what it comes down to is I think that a lot of the, the, the top level executives from each individual league where, you know, they're aired within the continental United States and globally and things like that, they know the second that they are given the okay to come back, that their ratings, the amount of money they're going to make is going to go through the roof because everybody will be watching because it's sports. And whether you like it or not, people are going to be watching. Right now, people are watching simulated Madden games, for Christ's sake, and people are betting on them because there's just nothing better to do. So when you get live sports back on the air, it's, it's going to feel like Christmas and then some. So there is – I don't want to say there's a race because, I mean, that's kind of shortchanging it a little bit, but there definitely is a competition, I think, between – you know, who's going to be the first one to really come back and, and get their seasons going again. Um, we had said that the NBA was tentatively planning on coming back in mid-July. Major League Baseball was kind of talking in that same sort of time frame, the beginning part of July. The, the main date that they were talking about was around the 4th of July weekend. And the NHL now we're talking about their whole new startup plan with having 2014 playoffs and in two hub cities and, and things like that. And of course the Premier League, my whole issue is mainly with the Premier League because it's different. It's different here because I, I think the United States, you know, you could talk about federally or, or on the state level, you could talk about the job that, certain people have been doing that's fine but i think for the most part federally and on the state levels we've been doing a fairly decent job i wouldn't say you know it's it's outstanding i wouldn't say it's piss poor by any measure i I think that overall collectively it's been a fairly decent job whereas in the uk it is a fucking disaster and adam i think that you know while we are not the same politically we can agree on that, that the whole strategy of what they're trying to do in the UK is just a, is a car crash, correct? Yeah, definitely. It's just not okay. – I mean, first of all, the, okay. U, the UK, like they haven't been doing a great job anyway No, with, no. Co- with coronavirus and now trying to restart the Premier League because now they see that the Bundesliga is doing it and they want to get, on, get in on that action. Yeah, I mean – I don't know, Adam, maybe, maybe you can help me out with the word that I'm looking for, but is ignorant an inappropriate word? I wouldn't say ignorant. I would say... Clueless? Reckless. Reckless. Yeah, I think it's, that's a good word, reckless. I mean... Because I think they knew, they know that this is, like, what the stakes are. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, my problem, though, is also, is also this. You now have a situation where, in the in the Premier League at least, you have a situation where you have players that are just flat out not willing to come to training and train. You have Troy Deeney, 
captain of Watford, who has said publicly, he said, look, I, I'm not showing up. I'm not coming. I'm not training. I'm not doing anything because I have a young son at home that has underlying health conditions that I need to go out of my way to protect. And listen, personally, I don't like the guy. I never have. He said some shit about Arsenal fans that I don't like, and he can go fuck himself. But as a human being and on a very personal level, he's 100% right to go and, and do what he's doing. Same thing with N'Golo Kante, the star midfielder for, uh, for Chelsea. He showed up to training, he did his thing, and then he just left. And he said, look, I'm not comfortable with being here. And he opted out of training. And, and good for him. So not saying a lot because N'Golo Kante doesn't really, isn't really that outspoken. He's very, no, very no, quiet, he's not. quiet yes. guy. Yes, he is. And he takes care of his business very quietly. So when you have a player like that, that's openly coming out and saying, look, I, I'm not looking to take that chance. I'm not looking to infect myself or infect my loved ones. That, that, that speaks volumes. It really does. And I mean, look, I know that, that the Premier League wants to finish the season so they can collect on uh, various TV incentives and, and sponsorship deals that they have worked out. But it just it, the more they try and push this June 1st date on us, it just seems like the more and more that there's just no way in hell this is going to happen. And I mean, it, it's 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 dangerous. It's really what it is. It, it's flat out dangerous that they are going this, going this route and they are being this reckless. Like you said, Adam, I think it's a very, very appropriate word to, uh, to use in this circumstance that they are, uh, they are looking to restart the league when clearly the situation is, is not okay. I mean, I can understand, you know, over here when you have major league baseball and their players who are saying that they want to come back and they want to play much the same with the National Hockey League and their players, and then, of course, the NBA as well. But when you have a large percentage of Premier League players, and I'm not saying, you know, half, but you're still talking, you know, 25 30% of players. It's still a pretty large number that are saying, you know, they don't want to play. They don't want to train. They're nervous about playing. They're nervous about training. That's a big issue. That is a humongous issue. And I mean, you can preach, you know, playing in empty stadiums and, and behind closed doors and all of that. But I mean, what's, what's it going to do really? Honestly, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I think reckless, I wanted to find another, I want to find a word that was harsher than reckless. And thankfully I looked up, I looked it up in a, in a thesaurus. So here's some some other words I think really apply even more. Please educate me. I'm going to English 101. Careless, foolhardy, negligent is a great is a great one. Negligent, that's a great one. Playing with fire is is probably my favorite out of those. Hasty, ill-advised, ill-advised, good one. Rash, audacious. Rash. Yeah. Mindless, idiotic, yeah. stupid. Yeah. I think I think all definitely do. Inconsiderate is Inconsiderate, one. yeah, that's uh, that's that's another one. I mean, it, 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 those all line up with how I feel. And while I want the Premier League back, and I'm as I'm sure you do too, Adam, and I'm sure uh, as most of our um, football-minded listeners do as well, unless they root for West Ham, Norwich, 
Yeah. Or any of the teams that are in the relegation zone. Watford. Yeah. Watford. I mean, I just don't, I don't know how they do it with the amount of players there are right now that are coming out and saying that they just want no part in, in any of this. I mean, I just, I just don't know how they go about it, where they can do it safely, where they can have all these players be at a, at a somewhat calm frame of mind where they can do their work and, and, be comfortable with what they're doing. I mean, I just don't know how they can go about and be doing that in a safe and secure way. See, the crazy thing is we haven't even talked about the Champions League. There's no fucking way that that tournament is going to be happening this year. Nah, no way. Not even next season that tournament is going to be happening. Nope, I don't think so. With how many countries are there going to be involved in that tournament? that you have to make sure that they're clear. Like yeah. one country is hard enough. Having, yeah, and, and even yeah. if you say that you're going to host it in, 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 let's say, five neutral sites, how are you going to get these screenings done? How are you going to get these tests done? How are you going to get everything under control to the point where you could say it is okay and safe to have a football match? I, I mean – it, it's it's not possible. It's it's just not possible. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I it would be interesting to see what they do next season for the Champions League. Not only for qualifying places, but also, I mean, a little biased. I don't, I wonder what's going to happen with uh, the club that I support. How that is going to work? The uh, the ban of the Champions League. If, there hasn't been really any news on the appeal for that, but I mean that's not what we're here to talk about. Now they'll, they'll probably they'll probably put, if the, if there is no Champions League next year, there's no no Europa League, they'll probably push out the ban for another year. I would think. I guess. Anyway, so let's talk more about. Well, I guess we kind of a lot of the stuff that we said about soccer in Europe really applies to what's going on domestically. Uh, the NHL has recently said that they wanted to use uh, two hub cities to play in their 2014 playoff extravaganza. Yep. And um, baseball has floated the idea of playing all the, either playing all the games in Arizona or playing in as many home stadiums as possible in places in the country that aren't as infected. But I mean, honestly, the best way to get those places in the country that aren't as infected infected is to play games in those, in those places in the United States. So yeah, I mean, thankfully nobody is given the idea to have fans in the stands. So that's good. At least we're all in agreement on that and to only have essential personnel at the games, but it's just going to be really, really hard for this to happen with no treatments or no vaccines. But I mean, thankfully there has been good news. I mean, I don't know if you saw Monday, a vaccine by uh, Moderna Incorporated is pat. They passed phase one testing. I did not vaccine. see that. And they're thinking about uh, starting phase three testing, which is testing to make sure the vaccine is safe and effective in July. So Ooh. if, if everything goes to plan, basically what happened is they, it was a very small sample size that they tested uh, but eight out of eight people that they gave this vaccine to 
developed antibodies to the coronavirus. Amen to that. So, I mean, it's worth watching that because I think if that really accelerates the timeline for a vaccine, because I think a lot of people were thinking like early 2021 for a vaccine. So maybe I was probably I on the, uh, I was probably on the best case scenario sort of side too. Right. But still, I think it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't want to beat this dead horse any more than we already have. No, no, because it is just, uh, it is just depressing after a while talking about it. But actually, uh, Bird, do you have any more news and notes necessarily that you want to talk about? Yeah, We have a big golf match coming up. We do have a very big uh, golf match coming up. It is uh, the match part two between uh, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning going up against Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. And the betting odds for this are heavily leaning toward Tiger and Peyton. It's at minus 225 right now for Tiger and Peyton. So the betting, the betting shark in me is saying that, that if you're going to get a nice return on your money, I'm going and I'm going to say plus 175 for Phil and Tom is the way that I would, I would lean on this one. Yeah, honestly, I don't know how I got into this podcast because I, I have never – I think the only betting I've ever done in my life is on Super Bowl boxes. <laughs> I guess technically fantasy football, but not really. I, I wouldn't count that as betting because it, there's a lot more strategy involved in that than just picking the right numbers. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it is just it is just luck and knowing odds and knowing what a good return could possibly be. I mean, I won I won a uh, a Madden sim tonight. I, well, I'm I talking about like season long fantasy that. football, not daily. Oh if, oh, if you're talking about season season long, yeah, season long. Yeah. There's more strat- There's more strategy involved. Yeah, yeah. No, I've never I've never touched like DraftKings or FanDuel or anything like that. Oh no, I was I was I'm more talking about uh, with a book. Okay. Yes, I I I did place with my book tonight. I did place a um, a twenty five dollar bet on uh, on a Madden sim. And I ended up winning. I ended up it was a twenty it was twenty five to win thirty-eight and I ended up winning. So I'm a very happy boy. See, that's weird. That's just a, that's like very black mirror stuff. People betting on uh on video game sims. Well hell yeah, that's what sports. I was talking about before. They bet they bet on them on the Madden Sims and then they go and they watch it on TV because they're airing they're airing these sims. So the next thing we're gonna be talking about before we move on to our discussion about Stadia is the NFL and they're making some changes to the Rooney rule. And for those that do not know what the Rooney rule is, it is that every team when they're interviewing, I don't think it's just for head coaching positions, although it might be. Bert, can you can you uh, confirm that? It's for head coaching and top level um, front office executive positions. So uh, GM, president football operations, et cetera. Right. So for those positions, teams are required to interview at least one minority candidate. You've definitely had a lot of teams um, make light of the Rooney rule in the, in the future or in the past where they already know who they're going to be, uh, who they're going to be hiring for that position, just bringing in a uh, candidate like, I don't know, like, Todd Bowles or somebody just to fill the quota for the for the Rooney rule. 
Eric yeah. Eric Beniemi. He he's been basically the uh, the talk of the town in terms of uh, in terms of that Eric Beniemi, the uh, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, and the former uh, secondary coach for the Dallas Cowboys too, uh, Chris Richard. Yep, which is honestly a travesty because I think Eric Bieniemy would make a great uh, NFL coach. Oh, I agree. I agree. And if, if we're talking about you know old. Andy Reid offensive coordinators are being plucked for head coaching jobs like no tomorrow and Eric Beniemi can't get a, uh, a head coaching job. That's a disgrace. Yeah. No, I mean, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, So true. And Matt Nagy still has his job in Chicago, which is a whole, it's a whole other discussion in, in and of itself. Right. So I think a lot of teams, I think a lot of people that you would talk about, this too, I think, would be very split on whether the Rooney Rule actually helps or hurts the um, prospects for minority coaches, GMs, or presidents of football operations. Because we've had, there have been a lot of success stories. I mean, ones I can really think of are Mike Tomlin and uh, Reggie McKenzie and Lovey Smith as well in Chicago. Anthony Lynn with the Chargers. Anthony Lynn, of course. Brian Flores with the uh, with the Dolphins. Ron Rivera. Yep. So there have been some success stories, but you know, a lot of teams have, like I said, they've basically treated the Rooney Rule like it's just a thing that they have to do, like emptying the dishwasher. And it's like, oh well, I guess. Yeah, like it's like it's a mandate. Yes, and they're not taking these candidates seriously. The whole point of the of the rule is that the NFL, like a lot of sports leagues, has become a boys' club where a lot it's been basically um you know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy and most of the time these you know these guys who all network with each other are all look very very similar to each other and all have the same sort of makeup as each other and when you have that sort of scenario then you don't have any new interesting ideas in the nfl you just have the same old retread hires it's where you get, I mean, no offense, Bird, but that's how you get Mike McCarthy, where... You're not wrong. Yeah. So I think that the intentions of the Rooney Rule is great, but I think a lot of teams just don't take it, seri- don't take it seriously enough. But I think the NFL was trying to go real hard in the other direction with this proposed rule change, which was that teams would get higher draft picks if they hired minority coaches or executives or uh, GMs, which honestly I think is missing the point of the Rooney rule. Like it would definitely make teams take it more seriously, but then also you're not getting the best candidates for the job. If that's going to be, if that's going to be what it is, if you're just, hiring a minority for the draft position. Honestly, that's worse. You're not hiring the guy because he's a good because he is a be, a good fit for your organization. You're hiring him so you can draft Trevor Lawrence or some sleeper wide receiver in the in the third round. That that's even worse. I mean that's basically treating these people, actual people who are looking for their big break in the NFL as token and it's really, it's worse than the original Rooney Rule, no matter how maligned or brushed off that it was. 
Adam, very well said. Um, first of all, the Rooney rule in and of itself, what it is meant to do in practice is very, very good because yes, it is supposed to, in theory, give minority head coaching candidates, uh, front office executive members, the potential to go ahead and move up and be figureheads of a franchise. That is what the Rooney rule is, essentially, as you so well articulated. But the problem is, like what you said, Adam, again, is that these teams are not really using this as a means to really gauge, you know, what a minority head coach can potentially offer their franchise. They're just bringing in a minority head coaching candidate just to satisfy a rule, even if there is no way in hell that that coach, potential coach is going to be hired. And that's where the whole Rooney rule itself gets clouded. And now, now what you're doing is you've gone from be having the Rooney rule be a mandate to now what they were going to do before, by the grace of God, they went and they took this out of the equation, thank you, was they were going to go ahead and instead of having the Rooney rule be a mandate, they were now going to completely incentivize the Rooney rule and say, hey, you go ahead and you hire an African-American to be the head coach of your football team, we'll give you an extra third-round pick for it. Like, even the way that I believe people should be hiring, whether it is Caucasian, whether you are African-American, whether you are Latino, whether you are Asian, whatever it may be. And we're not, I'm not even talking about the NFL right now. I'm just talking about in general. Male, female, black, white, whatever. The way that you should be hired for anything and Adam, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. You should not be hired for something based on the color of your skin. You should be hired for something of a higher position because your body of work suggests that you deserve it and you've earned that opportunity to work at a higher level. And you should not be brought down because you're African-American or because you're Latino. That's a pile of shit. Because those people, the African-Americans and the Latinos, can do just as good of a job leading a company, leading an organization, leading a pro sports team just as well as any Caucasian guy can do it. And I think, Adam, you would be in the same boat as I am, that it has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has to, it has to be that every person that you are hiring for high-ranking positions in your organization, even mid-level positions, that, they, that we are not going out and making it an incentive to hire minority-based people into positions of power in, in organizations so you can get a reward for it. That's, that's pity. That's pity. And it, 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 it sends the wrong message. That's what also pisses me off about the whole thing, is it sends the wrong message that maybe we're not hiring the best guy but we're hiring this guy because he is African-American and we're going to get a third round pick out of it. I mean, how's that going to make the guy feel? 
also. Exactly. It, it automatically is a red flag for any head coach that is a minority coming in and saying, oh, maybe, the, maybe they hired me because they wanted extra draft capital out of it. And, and Adam, you hit the nail on the head again when you, when you said, how does that make that candidate feel? That maybe, maybe they don't have as long of a shelf life as a Caucasian head coach would. That maybe instead of Matt Nagy, who's getting, you know, he's getting by off of free pass after free pass in Chicago when his franchise quarterback should be getting better and better, he's getting worse and worse. Matt Nagy is still, he's still kicking along, no problem. But you still have someone like Eric Beniemi, who is not a head coach. And for what, it, for what it's worth, I think Eric Beniemi would be a fantastic head coach. I think he would be a better head coach than Matt Nagy for sure. And I think he'd be a much better head coach than Doug Peterson would be. Well, yeah. I mean, also, I mean, the fact remains that minority head coaches don't just straight up don't have that sort of shelf life. No, nope, a don't. lot of the time they don't get that second job. Like Adam, Ga- like if Adam Gaze weren't white and didn't work with, I mean, just yeah, if Adam Gaze weren't white, you really think you'd get another head coaching job? Absolutely so quick- not. So quickly after he got fired from Miami. Absolutely not. But what also helped what also helps Adam Gaze, Adam, is he also had Peyton Manning backing him up. And part of the problem is now is you're looking for some of the biggest stars in the game to back up these minority head coaches, head coaching candidates, these minority based uh, front office executives that can go and be president of football operations for teams. That's where I think the young stars coming into the game now can really help with that. I'm not I'm not going and I'm not saying that. Peyton Manning hasn't done that, or Drew Brees hasn't done that, or Tom Brady hasn't done that. I'm not not saying that. What I'm saying is now what you have in the younger generation of stars, you have more ethnically diverse players that are coming in where now it's, oh, Patrick Mahomes is backing up Eric Biniemi to potentially be a head coach. Oh, Lamar Jackson is potentially backing up – name any Ravens offensive assistant that can come in and potentially be a head coach for, for a team, you know, backing up Chris Richard. Right, right. Exactly. Or, or, or even, even Andrew Luck going, and I'm not saying that he would ever be a head coach because he's not a good offensive coordinator to begin with, but it's a different story, but Andrew, uh, even better, even better. I'm not going to go the Pep Hamilton route. Andrew Luck coming out and saying that David Shaw should be a head coach in the national football league. Something like that, you know, where you have some of the bright young stars of our game, even though Andrew Luck isn't in the game, but he still has an aura big enough where he can influence, coming in and backing up these minority head coaching candidates to potentially get them head coaching gigs. That's what we need more of, and that's where I think the youth in our league is going to really help that potentially grow and I think it's going to get better over time but with what the NFL was proposing was absolutely ludicrous on on every single level I mean I I don't even want to say it was bad because bad is selling it short it was an absolute joke it was tone deaf is what it was tone deaf yeah yeah I mean I didn't have the source for that one did not need a thesaurus for that one I mean that that's as great as I can say it tone deaf absolutely tone deaf i'm happy that the nfl got some brain cells on that one because that would have just been an absolute mess 
to try and cover. Oof. Lordy. Well, the last thing I want to say about that, you were talking like 15 minutes ago, it seems, about how it should be the, uh, the best candidate should get the job. And I think you would agree with this. The fact, the reason that the Rooney rule was instituted was because a lot of the times if the best candidate wasn't, didn't fit a certain mold of a head coach, i.e. like skin color, I mean, let's be real, he wasn't getting in the door for that interview. And that, and that's where the intentions came from. For Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Because, I mean, you could have had a lot of, there could have been a lot of great head coaches in who were grinding away as assistants or coordinators in the NFL that probably wouldn't have gotten a chance to, uh, to interview without the, the rule, the Rooney rule. Sure. I mean, and Adam, you also made a very good point when you were talking about Adam Gaze and you had said, you know, how many, how many recycled head coaches do we know that are white? And then how many recycled head coaches do we know that are African-American? There's the answer right there. I mean, you have Jeff Fisher that went from job to job to job. You have Adam Gaze that went from job to job to job. Josh McDaniels, job to job to job. What's the common theme? Well, not even that. Like, also, I mean, Mike McCarthy, um, Mike Smith, I think, for a while going from job to job to well, job. Well, Mike McCarthy was also in the same spot for a long time. And Mike McCarthy also has more merit than any other name that we've said as a head coach because Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl. That's so true. he's got that in his back pocket. So he can, he can go ahead and he could say that, that he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. He's worked with Brett Favre. He's worked with Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's got that. He's got that. But, you know, Adam Gaze, we've seen Adam Gaze as a head coach. He's been horrible. Mike Smith, we've seen sure him as a head coach. Terrible. We've seen Josh McDaniels as a head coach. Absolutely horrendous. Mike so McCoy. I mean. Mike McCoy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we're talking now. I mean, are we, you really think that Vance Joseph is going to get another look as a NFL head coach? I highly doubt it. Todd it's Bowles isn't. Which is, Todd Bowles isn't. Marvin Lewis isn't. Marvin Lewis is out of the, is out of the league. Uh, Hugh Jackson as well. Uh, Romeo Cronell. I mean, it's, it's the sad reality, but like I said, I think the more that we go and the whole ethnic background of our league continues to shift where the minority starts to become the majority, that's when I think we start seeing that these, these, these young players coming in, turning into stars, and those stars then vouching for their minority coordinators, assistants, things like that to become head coaches and we have more minority head coaches in the NFL. You know, the interesting, the interesting thing also is that I think for a lot of those head coaches, the minority head coaches, the players really, really enjoy playing for them. I sure. mean, I can, yeah. I mean, there are, there are players that would probably get hit by a bus to just play for Ron Rivera. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I can speak from experience for my favorite team, but I, Players on the Jets loved Todd Bowles when he was coach, mm-hmm. no yep. matter how shit he was. 
people like people love Todd Bowles. Like players yeah. really, really enjoyed him. And I think Jamal Adams really didn't want him to get fired. And no, I don't think so either. So it's yeah, it's just a matter of I mean, the NFL sports in general are very reflective of the world as a, of the rest of the world that they inhabit. And these are problems across all industries. So I think once that once those industries reform, I mean, it'll be a, a long time before that happens, then we could be seeing change in the NFL. But as of right now, honestly, I can't really think of any like good alternative to the Rooney rule that will, that won't just be abused by uh, NFL teams. You said it very, very, very well. I can't, I can't say it much better myself there, Adam. All right. Well, let's move on to the main part of this podcast. And we are talking about stadia or stadiums. Actually the proper plural is stadia, which is something that I learned way too late in life because everybody just says stadiums, but the proper plural is stadia, but we're going to say stadiums just to be just for understanding sake sake. Yes. To be one with our, uh, our demographic. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. They just barely teach that. Kind of like, uh, it's amazing how modern, the modern English language goes so completely untaught in schools in 2020. Right, exactly. Did you know that and criteria would, is also a plural? Yes. Yep. There you go. And I would, Adam. I mean, I would never, I would never ever think that kids would be coming out of school today and would be unable to string together a proper sentence. Yeah, I know. It's tough. But they can tell you the tax code off the back of their hand. That's the education system. It's all about memorization. Yeah, it is. But you, you ask someone what a noun is, they can't tell you left, right, or center. Really. I've never met anybody that's not in school anymore that can't tell me what a noun is. Oh, you'd be surprised. Really? You'd be really surprised. Yeah. It's pretty terrible. That is awful. Yeah, well, you should watch some of the reality shows that I watch, people who can't even name the, uh, the first president of the United States. See, there, there's your problem. I found your issue. You're watching reality TV. Oh, no, no, no. The the people who can't explain to me what a noun is are people that I see in everyday life. I mean, I probably can't tell you what an adverb is, but at least I can tell you what a noun is. I can can tell you all the the, the tenses of, of verbs and what they all mean. It's funny. I think I learned more about about tenses in language when we learn when we were in Spanish together. Oh, 100%. That I've learned in any of my English classes in middle school and elementary school. Oh yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you all about Romeo and Juliet, but they won't teach you how to use a fucking comma. I was like, Oh, the Eng- Oh, English has the president, the present participle too. English yeah. has a subjunctive. What the hell? I think, I think my biggest pet peeve might be when people, this should be a Mount Rushmore biggest pet peeves. When people use there in a possessive, way and then spell it t-h-e-r-e oh i hate that that. bothers me that bothers me to no end it's just so annoying it's absolutely horrible anyway same thing with your also oh yeah your your is a good one but anyway before we get even more off topic with our grammar rants 
subscribe to Grammar Rants with Adam and Bird, <laughs> the new podcast from the Basement Talk, uh, from the hosts of the Basement Talk podcast. The, gra- the grammar Nazis inside both of us are going just absolutely haywire. Oh my God. Anyway, we're talking about stadiums, and this is a Mount Rushmore of the same variety that we've been doing over these past couple of episodes that we've had a lot of fun doing. We've done New York sports. Well, actually, the first one we did was uh, football, foot uh, figures in the NFL. Yep. And then we did, um, we did New York sports. That was yep. the second one. And then we did uniforms. Mm-hmm. And, and now, now here we, we are. are here with stadiums. Stadia. So, Stadia. So the way this works is the same thing as before. We're going to be doing one per sport, and also there's a twist. It's going to be out of all the teams that Bird and I support, we can only pick one stadium from each of the teams that we support. Or, I mean, out of all of them. Yep. From all of them. We can pick one. Correct. So it should be interesting to see which stadium each uh, either of us pick. And honestly, I kind of hope we don't pick the same one because we do share a few interests. And the two sports teams that we have in common actually share a stadium, which is kind of funny. This is true. But moving on, Bird, you have the first pick. So what's it going to be? I do, Adam. And also, this is past and present, by the way. Yes. Yes. This is one that is a very, 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 very easy top choice for me. While I have allegiances to the old Yankee Stadium, while I have allegiances to Highbury and some allegiances to the Emirates, while that history is not exactly um, the most rosy, shall we say. Madison Square Garden is the arena of all arenas. It's the world's most famous arena. It is where Kobe Bryant said he loved to play the most. Same with Michael Jordan. LeBron James said it is the mecca of basketball. And it is where Wayne Gretzky said he wanted to end his career. And he did. Um, This is where the stars all shine right on Broadway. And there is no more fitting choice to be number one overall pick on my list of Stadia, MSG, home of the New York Knicks and the New York fucking Rangers. Madison Square Garden. Home to six champions between the two teams. Yep, this is true. One of the oldest arenas in the NHL and in basketball. I think, well, no. It used to be, I think Oracle Arena used to be the oldest in the NBA, but now the Warriors moved to the Chase Center. Which is gorgeous, I've heard. Yeah, it does look pretty nice from the inside. I mean, I've never been, but I mean, just watching the Knicks play the Warriors there once a year. Um, it, yeah, it looks pretty pretty nice. All right, so I'm next. This is interesting. Madison Square Garden is a great pick, by the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate I, it. I love that. I actually, I've never been before the remodel, so I've only seen it after the remodel. And I think, honestly, it looks pretty nice, even, even so. I think the remodel is kind of controversial in the eyes of some people, but I think it looks pretty nice. Myself included. Yeah. It's not the same as it once was, but the whole allure of what Madison Square Garden is sells me on on it being number one. 
for mine, I'm going to pick a uh, baseball stadium, but it's not actually anywhere the Mets play. I do have allegiances to uh, Shea Stadium and City Field, but for my baseball stadium, I'm going to pick something that's a little, when you're talking about iconic stadiums that have been around for a long time, you, you hear old Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, but I think this one stadium is one that people do not mention a lot, and that is Dodger Stadium, Chavez mm. Ravine in Los Angeles. It is a stadium that has stood the test of time. Not once has been rained out, which is astound- astounding. I mean, it is Los Angeles, but still. Never rains in L.A. Never rains in L.A. And when it does, it's like it's like a typhoon. Right, exactly. One of the nicest looking stadiums in baseball. I mean, it's been around for since I think the 60s, something mm-hmm. along those lines. That, yep, correct. Um, been home to many, many great Dodger teams over the years. A very classic looking stadium. It doesn't have like the uh, modern retro future look that a lot of the newer baseball stadiums have that uh, Camden Yards started. Camden Yards is another one that could have uh, been on this Mount Rushmore. But I think Dodger Stadium, the way, just the way that it looks, um, it's one of those stadiums where you could be watching a game on TV, and you can cover up the score bug, and you can, and the if the teams are playing in all black uniforms at, with no logos, and you can't see the score bug of who's playing, you can tell where they're playing, because it just has that sort of look where you know exactly it's Dodger Stadium. And that's why Dodger Stadium is my baseball pick. Good pick, Adam. Very good pick. And I'll back you up on Dodger Stadium. I've been there many, many, many times. And Dodger Stadium is absolutely gorgeous. Shame they moved away from Brooklyn, though. Very true. Yep. All right. So I'm on the swing for this one. You are. By the way, did you? It'd be funny. Did you pick Madison Square Garden for hockey <laughs> or uh, basketball? I picked it for both. Well, no. Well, since it's one for sport, I know one per sport. So you're oh, I know. you're I know. using two, two and mm-hmm. one. Yep, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. That's well, a, don't worry. Uh, let's see. For my, for mine, I am going to pick. I think that this stadium is one of those, I mean, honestly, considering that I already used up baseball and bird pick the garden, I really don't have many options for the stadiums of my favorite team, of my favorite teams. And I've never been to the Etihad, even though it looks really nice. And obviously I've never been to Main Road because it was demolished in the late 90s or early 2000s. So I am going to pick MetLife Stadium. Hmm. Because it looks really nice. I mean, first of all, I think Giant Stadium, it really felt like you were like crashing in somebody else's apartment, like you were borrowing somebody else's uh, stadium to use. I mean, it's called Giant Stadium, and the Jets were playing in it, and the seats were all blue. And it, would, it just looked, it looked like whenever the Jets played there, I mean, it was like a rocking stadium, like it got pretty loud at times. But whenever the Jets played there, it was like, oh, just cover up all the signs, uh, repaint the end zone, 
just don't make it look like you're basically squatting on somebody else's turf. But with MetLife Stadium, since the Jets and Giants were our co-owners, co-tenants of the stadium, it was they were able to add more of a Jets flair to it, where they had the intricate lighting systems that they have. And honestly, there I think there's a video on YouTube about how they uh, transition between Jets and Giants in MetLife Stadium, and it's really cool. Definitely recommend it. How they uh, they switch out the the end zones, and how they uh, switch basically the uh, pro shop. They kind of what it's like a rack, like a spinning rack. You just uh, spin it around. And you can switch between Jets and Giants, uh, putting in different lights that uh, illuminate the stadium. But honestly, it's one of those stadiums that if you're looking at, at a flyover in the establishing shot of a night game, it looks it's one of the best looking stadiums in uh, in football. Um, it has great great atmosphere at least when the jets are good it has great atmosphere great acoustics i went to a jet game there uh in its first season actually in 2010 and it was the game uh jets were playing the texans and mark sanchez through basically the jets were on like their own 30 yard line and it was 16 seconds left and mark sanchez just heaved the ball to braylon edwards and he caught it with uh 10 seconds left on the Texans 15 yard line and uh, they were able to throw, he was able to throw to San, to San Antonio Holmes for the game when he touched down the stadium went nuts. So just the atmosphere there was amazing. I mean, I do hate that it's in New Jersey, with, even though I don't live in New Jersey, because I don't live in New Jersey. And it's kind of a pain to uh, commute there, but otherwise it's a very nice experience as far as uh, stadiums go. I like the pick. I like the pick, and I, I like MetLife Stadium a lot. I mean, it's not, it's not like in the top ten of stadiums that I've been to, but it is, it is very, very, very nice. So, uh, I, I could vouch for uh, for that pick, Adam. I like it. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there weren't a lot of options because I feel like Dodger Stadium. As much as I love Shea Stadium and City Field, I think Dodger Stadium is better. Yeah, yeah, I, I can. I can back you up on that one. I could say Dodger Stadium is, is very, very, very nice. Um, so I'm limited in terms of my options here using my basketball and my hockey one. Um, I was going to put Staples Center in here, but I obviously cannot do that. So I have to go a little bit outside the box with my uh, two picks here, the turn, two, three. I'm going to start with, in my opinion, the most iconic stadium, um, perhaps – I don't want to say in American sports, but you can make a case for it definitely in the National Football League by a country mile, and that is Lambeau Field. Of course, opened in 1957 and has played host to so many stars for the Green Bay Packers. Bart Starr, Paul Hornung, uh, Brett Favre, Donald Driver, Aaron Rodgers, just to name a few. I mean, the amount of greatness that has walked in to the doors at Lambeau and obviously Vince Lombardi. Um, the the aura that he holds, not just over Lambeau, but over the entire Packers franchise, is still very, very, very much felt uh, today. And you know, you you look at the Packers, you see one of the uh, original franchises for the National Football League. Of course, the winners of Super Bowl one, and you, you see greatness with Lambeau Field. And 
you, you also see it, it, it's a lot more than that. You see a fan base that truly, truly cares about their team. Of course, the Packers, the only publicly owned sports franchise in the country. I can proudly say that I am a owner of the Green Bay Packers. So I am putting my, my own stadium onto, uh, onto my list, but um, it, it is, it is an unbelievable uh, facility and it's definitely one on my bucket list that I definitely do have to get to sometime in my, in my life. The next one on my list, it, it, it pains me to say it, but because I could not put Highbury in here, um, I had to go and pick one of the modern, uh, the old time, I should say, football grounds uh, in the Premier League. And of course, you have Stamford Bridge, but they have no history before Abramovich, so who really cares? Um, then you look at Anfield and everything that Liverpool Football Club have done over the years, you know, they, their prolonged history is, is almost unmatched, except for one, and that is the Theater of Dreams. That is Old Trafford, and that is the home football stadium of Manchester United. And while it pains me to say it because I can't stand Manchester United with every fiber of my being, um, I have to respect the ground. I have to respect what the aura of the Theater of Dreams does. Of course, Theater of Dreams was penned by Sir Bobby Charlton, one of the great Manchester United legends. And you can go down the list of players that have worn the red for Manchester United over the years. Look at greats like Ryan Giggs, Eric Cantona, uh, Paul Scholes, Roy Keane, um, David De Gea currently, uh, Peter Schmeichel, uh, Edwin van der Sar, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Patrice Evra, Rio Ferdinand, Wayne Rooney. I mean, these are just some of the greatest players at their position in Premier League history. And, of course, Manchester United have won the most trophies out of any club in the English top flight as well. So you have that, tra- that history and you have that tradition of winning to back it up. And... Um, and I think that Old Trafford, you you walk in to Old Trafford as a as a visiting team, and I know this firsthand from supporting Arsenal over the years. It is a really really tough place to go in and pull out a result, and it really is the possibly the closest thing, with the exception of maybe Anfield, that is like one A one B in terms of the true modern fortresses that we have in English football today. So uh, Old Trafford makes the list for me and I'm sure I'll hear it from people that listen to this podcast that do support Manchester United. Um, but I have to put it up there. That would, it would be a great disservice if I did not do that and acknowledge what old Trafford has, has meant to the English game since its inception 110 years ago and what it has done for the aura of a club like Manchester United. So old Trafford is my number three on the list. Well, it's kind of a lose-lose situation because if you mention because if you pick Old Trafford, then you have Liverpool fans saying why didn't you pick Anfield, and if you pick Anfield, then you have Man, Man United fans saying why didn't you pick Old Trafford. So, I'd rather deal with I'd rather deal with Liverpool fans. They're all soft anyway. Yes, yes, they are. I mean, it's definitely a nice-looking stadium, uh, Old Trafford. Yes, yeah, it is. 
And it's kind of shocking that no matter how shit Man United has been over the past couple of years, they still win a fair amount of games there at home. Yeah, more. Their, their home record is is unparalleled. It's it's quite ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just thinking of that uh, the 6-1 Derby win a couple of years ago. That was fun. Anyway, at Old Trafford, by the way. Uh, that was fun. Anyway, I am actually going to stick with soccer for my third pick. Oh. And I am going to leave England. I'm going to Brexit, if you will, mm. and go to Europe. I and think I know where you're going. Does it begin with a C? No, it doesn't, actually. Oh, okay. It's the other one. They, uh, it begins with a B. Well, actually, it begins with an S, technically. But Wow. Uh, okay. All right. It's the, uh, the Santiago Bernabeu. Yep. In Madrid. Good pick. Good pick. I mean, this is basically in the same sense that Anfield and Man United are 1A and 1B in England. Camp Nou in Barcelona and the Bernabeu in Madrid are 1A and 1B in Spain. And then the uh, Wanda Metropolitano is like 1C, probably, because it's, it's a beauty, that new, the new one that Atletico Madrid plays in. But we're talking about the Bernabeu. This is a stadium that has seen a whopping 13 Champions League titles. 13. Good thing I was updated on, on that information for when we were doing the... Uh, Quizvitational. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Bert. I mean, the amount of legends that have gone through, I mean, listen, just the 21st century, the amount of legends that have gone through the, that have played in the uh, Bernabeu and have put on the white of Real Madrid. I mean, you think of Ronaldo and Ronaldo, David Beckham, uh, Louis Figo as well. Um, Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane, of course. I mean, currently, uh, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz, Gareth Bale, for all the hate that he gets, Iker Casillas, who was uh, one of Spain's best goalkeepers for, for the longest time, um, Sergio Ramos, Marcelo. So this is, this is a stadium that I think even more than Old Trafford emanates winning energy. I mean, Real Madrid have won basically everything in in Europe as far. I mean, they've even won the they've won the Champions League, they've won the Europa League, they've won the Super Cup, they've won La Liga a multitude of times, and they've won the Copa del Rey a multitude of times. So, and also, I mean, just talking about the stadium itself. I mean, the atmosphere in the Bernabeu when you have a bunch of fans screaming screaming in Spanish in different <laughs> screaming different things in spanish i mean just the the atmosphere the the volume in that stadium it feels like you're playing in like a broom closet where people where a bunch of people are standing next to you and yelling in your ear and i think that's why i the bernabeu is one of the hardest places to play i mean not only in la liga but also in european competition frankly when Man City went to uh, the Bernabeu for their round of 16 tie with Real Madrid, I was like, I'd be, we'd be lucky if we got out of here with a draw. And I was shocked that Man City was able to come out of that first leg leading 2-1 with two away goals because 
the Bernabeu is one of the hardest stadiums to play in in all of world football. I mean, you're you're not wrong by any stretch. I mean, you you, you talk about fortresses in in the game. We talked about Old Trafford, talked about Anfield. Uh, I hinted at the uh, at Camp Now, and that you have the Bernabeu as as well. And uh, it, again, it, it, you you talk about the history that that just travels through the Bernabeu and the sustained success that Real Madrid has always had throughout their history. Uh, it even adds more of a um, a glow to what the Bernabeu is in terms of a of a stadium. So. Uh, Adam, I am. Uh, I'm going to vouch for that one again. You're uh, you're nailing these. Yep. And for my fourth one, I'm actually going to take one that you can't pick anymore because you picked the Garden, and I'm going to pick the Staples Center. Because, ah, you son of a bitch. Because this is another one that is a multi-purpose stadium, hosts the LA Kings, the LA Clippers, and the LA Lakers, of course. Um, this is a stadium, I mean, not really a lot for the Clippers, but it has seen so many great players come through its doors and play on its playing surfaces. I mean, even if you were just to stick with the Lakers, it is a Hall of Fame worthy starting five. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, LeBron James now currently and a stadium that has seen two Stanley Cups recently for the Los Angeles Kings, a stadium that hosted Wayne Gretzky, much like the Garden did. But before Wayne Gretzky was a Ranger, he was traded famously to the LA Kings from the Edmonton Oil from the Edmonton Oilers. And I mean this is a stadium that is iconic. And I mean, not even just for just for sports. I mean, I know we're sticking to sports here, but I mean, the Staples Center also hosts the Grammys as well. I mean, this is a multi, multi, multi-purpose stadium that does so many, so many different things. I mean, it's so famous for hosting the Grammys that the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings have to go have a road trip for it, like, named after it, where they basically go on the road for like a month because of the Grammys. So it's a great, it's a great stadium. Definitely, in my opinion, second only to Madison Square Garden and Staples Center is my pick. I like it too. I mean, I've, I've, I've been there multiple times as well. And uh, again, it all, it all, I mean, there's, there's a common theme with a lot of these, maybe with the exception of MetLife Stadium, because, you know, who cares about that hunk of shit, but we, we talk about, you know, all these stadiums we've talked about with the exception of MetLife Stadium again, and there's just a lot of history in all of these places. And I think that's really where our our visions really lie in terms of what we view as as an unbelievable stadium is the amount of history that goes into every stadium that you that you really walk into. And yeah, you know, you can talk about niceness of certain things. You can talk about the aesthetic value that certain stadiums hold, but I think for us, when you're talking about you know true sports junkies here, uh, we're talking about history that goes into everything. And for my last pick, I have already used basketball. I've already used hockey. I've already used football. I've already used football. I haven't used baseball. I'm not going to. 
I've decided to go very, very outside the box. And I've decided to go for one that quite possibly I could stay, I could say is the most famous arena in the entire world, maybe more so than Madison Square Garden, just based on the kind of athletes that have graced this court for since it first opened in 1922. And that is center court at Wimbledon. That for me is iconic. You talk about some of the greats that have stepped onto that court and have won Wimbledon titles. Talking about Billie Jean King. You're talking about Margaret Court. Talking about Serena Williams. Talking about Steffi Groff, Chris Everett, Pete Sampras, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, John McEnroe. Novak Djokovic, these are just unbelievable names. And you're talking about athletes and, and winners as well. And, and these, are, these are men and women that have won multiple, multiple, multiple Wimbledon titles. And, you know, when you're talking about tennis and the tennis world, you really consider, you know, you lifting a Wimbledon title is the peak. It's the equivalent of lifting the Stanley Cup. It's the equivalent of lifting the Lombardi Trophy. The Commissioner's Trophy, the Larry, o- the Larry O'Brien Trophy, it is the pinnacle of tennis, Wimbledon. And you have your moment on center court. You have the Royal Box where you have all the, uh, the dukes and duchesses of, of yada, yada, and this and that that all show up and the stars come out for, for Wimbledon. And not for nothing, it's also the hardest ticket to get in any sport like you you need to be on a wait list for years you need to apply to get tickets for Wimbledon you don't buy them you apply and then you are selected to then purchase your tickets if you do wish to do so so we're talking about the exclusivity of the event as well but you know you go to center court and it's just a whole different feel given the history given the amount of legends that have stepped foot onto center court and have won absolutely just huge 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 titles and matches on center court and there's nothing like it in tennis so i gotta i gotta give my sports some love i don't very rarely do i do it on this podcast i don't do it enough this is where wimbledon gets its love and tennis gets its love as well and i'm gonna put i'm putting center court as my last pick, but definitely was one I was considering much, much higher, but I knew you were not going to go that route. Well, you're right. I definitely wasn't, but that's a great <laughs> pick. I Thank think you. my grandfather who loved tennis, even in his older age, he played like in, in his eighties when he was uh, living in Florida. God bless him. God bless him. Indeed. Rest in peace. But he loved tennis. And I think he would have really appreciated your pick. Well, I hope so. So we're going to give a recap for all the the stadia that we have uh, selected. So I have gone with Madison Square Garden, home of the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. Lambeau Field, home of the Green Bay Packers. Old Trafford, home of Manchester United. And Center Court at Wimbledon as my four top stadia. As for Adam, he has gone for Dodger Stadium, 
home of the Los Angeles Dodgers, MetLife Stadium, home of the New York Giants and the New York Jets, the Santiago Bernabeu, home of Real Madrid, and the Staples Center, home to the Los Angeles Kings, Los Angeles Lakers, and the Los Angeles Clippers. And occasional Taylor Swift concerts. As and well. the occasional Taylor Swift concert and Grammy award ceremony. Yes. They also they have banners for that. I mean, Taylor Swift has. Uh, I think they took that down, so I don't think I can make that joke anymore. But there was there was a while where Taylor Swift had more ba- had more banners in Staples Center than the LA Clippers. That's actually quite comical. But uh, yeah, is there any stadium that is not on our list that you would be interested in putting on this Mount Rushmore? Yankee Stadium. <laughs> Yeah, um, Highbury, uh, old Cowboy Stadium, old Texas Stadium, um, Soldier Field. I would definitely consider putting on this list as well. Um, the Superdome. I think that's a very underrated uh, stadium. Uh, the Superdome is nice. Superdome is, is, is gorgeous. Um, the San Siro in in Milan. I definitely would would def, would put on my list. Um, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't put the Emirates on there because I just have I just have too big of a love hate relationship with that place that I I really can't put it on there. Um, ooh, the Allianz Arena in in uh, yeah, Munich. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got it's got a um, it's got a nice look to it. The uh, the Westfalen Stadion. In um, Gelsenkirchen, the home of uh, Borussia Dortmund, I think that's a a classic, classic stadium. Especially when you have the the yellow wall. Um, Anfield talked about that one. The Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Fuck that place. Oh, oh, I have one. You're not gonna like it, but I I, I have one. Gillette Stadium. I don't like Gillette Stadium. I like the shopping mall that surrounds Gillette Stadium. I like. Lo- I've been to Gillette, and Gillette was gorgeous. That is the only thing. It is the, literally the only thing I like about Gillette Stadium is that there is a solid shopping mall slash movie theater that surrounds it. And restaurant that Toby Keith owns. Yeah. I saw Avatar in that movie theater. It's fucking amazing. Really? Yeah. I've, well, heard, that it, I've heard that it is very amazing. Because, you know, I have relatives that live around there. Like, basically, they're two exits away from Foxborough. So we go to Patriot Place Affair. Well, not not recently, but we used to go to there like all the time. Really? Actually, that's where I got my Nintendo Wii. There was a GameStop over there. So uh, yeah, when we were in Boston, we called Boston, really? but it's Massachusetts. It's Massachusetts, yes. Well, whenever we go there, we just say we're going to Boston, even though where we're going is like a half hour away from Boston. You're shipping up to Boston. Yes, but yeah, it's a it's a very nice place. Like, a, I think a, more stadiums should have that sort of uh, shopping mall scenario, like an outlet mall around the, uh, the area. So then you can go there whenever there aren't any games and you can just hang out. I'm in agreement. Yeah. Because like, why the fuck would you go there? Why would you I go mean, see a movie at Gillette Stadium when the Patriots are playing? You'd never find a parking spot. <laughs> I mean, you look at, you look at what they have with uh, all the modern football grounds in, um, in Europe. You could go walk right up to the stadium. Whenever you want, the funny you don't have to thing is, security or anything. It's so weird. The fun, I think there are some weird 
like lower division stadiums in England where you have to like walk through somebody's house to get to uh, one of the stands, yeah. like somebody's apartment. Like it basically is kind of like those old stadiums in the like the those old baseball stadiums in the fifties where they were where they had to fit into the city and they had to build it around apartment apartment buildings. I mean that's why like Ebbets Field was so tiny because they had limited space to work with. So that stuff is always interesting. Yeah. The weird thing is we didn't even mention it like college stadiums, which is funny. Ooh, didn't even think of that. The horseshoe. I mean, you, probably, you probably hate me for this, but I I think the big house is is really nice. Nope. Thinking. Nope. Nope. Not getting me. Not getting me to go there. All right. All right. Not getting me to go there. Um, the Coliseum in L.A. The farm in Palo Alto. Yeah. Yeah. See, here's how you know a stadium is good in college football. If it's if it has a nickname that starts with the, that's how you know a stadium is good. You're right. It's true. <laughs> the um, Coliseum, the Big House, the Horseshoe, the Swamp. Bryant Stadium, University of Alabama. Bryant Denny Stadium. Bryant Denny. Yeah. Uh, Sanford uh, Stadium in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, what about what about uh, Death Valley? Yep. Death Valley for the LSU Tigers. Actually, Death. Oh. Go Tigers. Death Valley is two stadiums. The Swamp is just the one. Yes. Happy Happy Valley is Penn State, but fuck Penn State. Yeah. Fuck Penn State. Yeah, we, don't, we don't like Penn State here. Actually, yeah, no. You're right. Because uh, Pitt, I'm, a, I'm basically like a Pitt fan as far as college football is concerned, and I do not like Penn State. What about um, if we're going to go and we're going to talk about college basketball? Uh, what about if we're talking, you know, truly classic sort of stadiums. What about uh, Cameron Indoor? Yep, Cameron Indoor. Uh, uh, Fieldhouse, Allen Fieldhouse. Allen Fieldhouse, yeah. Uh, the Dean Smith Center. Yep. At the University of North Carolina. I mean, I what guess about you the could... Mac Arena at Hofstra University? Oh, we love the Mac. We love the Mac. <laughs> great stadium. Or great stadia. All right, now you're just fucking with me with this pluralization <laughs> yes. shit. Yes, because I'm tired. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this was great. Uh, well, what we were doing with these uh, with these different stadia or stadiums, either or. Stadia. But uh, next time, I don't really uh, know what exactly we're going to be doing as far as Mount Rushmore's are concerned, but I think we... We're going to have a, uh, this is going to be like a running theme of, yeah. because this is just a really fun thing to do. Yeah. There's nothing better to do. So fuck yep. it. You're right. So thank you for listening to this episode of the basement talk podcast. You can find all episodes of the basement talk podcast on Apple podcast and Spotify. And the name is just the basement talk podcast. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe for more updates for whenever we release new episodes and definitely do that because we're going to be releasing new episodes of not just this portion of the basement talk podcast but also the basement talk podcast presentational which has been very successful so far and so next time we will be here with another matt rushmore for my co-host ed birdsall i'm adam caster and we will talk to you next time on the basement talk podcast bye bye